today, in verses 1 through 6, we're, we're really going to uh, take note of how the Apostle Paul here in this uh, chapter, and, and specifically here, talks about our commitment to ministry. So verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3 focuses on Paul's commitment to ministry and how we should be committed to ministry as well, to service. And then uh, verse 7 to the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul really deals with giving us a contrast between the Old Covenant, which is talking about the uh, Law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and contrasting that or comparing that with the New Covenant, which is really talking about the ministry of the Spirit and the Gospel message. At the end of verse 6, he tell, wants us to know that it is uh, with the letter, and when he talks about the letter, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, where Moses went up into the mountain and God wrote the, these letters, so to speak, uh, with his hand, with his finger, on stone. And uh, the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses in the Old Testament, filled with all kinds of rules and regulations, didn't give life. In fact, what it did was show us that uh, we're sinners and that we're, uh, we cannot keep the commandments of God in any perfect way. And so Jesus even says in the Gospels that uh, if we violate or mess up on even one little part of the law, we're guilty of it all. But what Paul is emphasizing here, and, and he gives us this con these contrasts, is that when we talk about the New Testament, it is the Spirit of God takes the gospel of Jesus Christ and gives life. And so the Old Testament and, you know, the Ten Commandments and all, in essence, show us that uh, we're sinners and that the wages of sin is death. But as we look in the New Testament and the New Covenant, we rejoice because the new covenant focuses on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which shows to us that we can find forgiveness of our sins in believing what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. And that new covenant, the gospel, is life-giving. It's not about death, it's about life. And so uh, you and I uh, should be rejoicing when we think about that. But there are some key verses that when he talks about the contrast, he talks in verse 12 of chapter 3, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So when we have the hope of the gospel, the hope of forgiveness of our sins, and that hope is a positive hope, it's not a hope so. When we have that very positive hope of of forgiveness of our sins. We have this positive hope of eternal life. We have hope. And when we have that hope, when the gospel message really has penetrated our hearts and minds, we're bold with that. We want to tell others about the good news of the gospel. We want to share the good news. And that's really what the focus is of the first six verses, especially when Paul, in essence, tells us, and this is the title of my message today, you are Christ's letter for all to read. And so we're going to come back to that. But then I, I also want you to take note of what he says in verse 17 and 18 of, of uh, this uh, great chapter. And here he, he deals with not just the contrast between the old and the new. He talks about how the new changes us. And so he tells us then in verse 17, 
and, and I'm sure you're familiar with this verse, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. What a great verse. And then in verse 18 he says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see, what Paul deals with, especially in the contrast, is to let us know that when, when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, his face was shining and so forth. So it was glorious. But what he's focused on here is this, that the gospel message is way more glorious. And the gospel message not only gives us life, but it begins to transform us and change us. And so he talks about that when he says that we're beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so what, how, do, how do we behold the Lord today? We behold the Lord today by beholding him in his, in his word, the scriptures. So we behold him and he begins to change us, you see. And so we're going to come back to these exciting uh, verses uh, in a week or a couple weeks uh, after our missions conference. And uh, I, I think you and I, uh, you know, I, I love verse 18. I was reading uh, this week from some old commentators. I'm going to quote uh, a few things a little bit later from an old expositor by the name of Harry Ironside. And uh, another individual that I was reading this week is a great theologian's, a theologian, uh, Louis Sperry, Sperry Schaefer, and Schaefer has uh, a great uh, commentary. In fact, there's eight volumes in his commentary uh, or his uh, writings on theology. Uh, Louis Sperry Schaefer was uh, president of Dallas Seminary, taught there. He was an uneducated individual, no formal education. And God saved him and uh, gave him a, a real desire for theology, and he became a, a real theologian. And wrote this great book, Schaefer's Theology. Every young preacher, at least years ago, would always have to uh, buy uh, Schaefer's Theology, those, those eight volumes. I'm not sure how many of them ever read through eight volumes of, of his uh, theological works, but uh, it, was, it was a great, uh, you know, uh, set of books. And uh, what I read this week was Louis Berry Schaefer was uh, a musician before he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and early in his life, he would go around to these different Bible conferences with great men like Harry Ironside and so forth, and he would lead the singing. And after uh, he became a theologian and he was at Dallas Seminary, he would sometimes lead the singing uh, in chapel with all the students at Dallas Seminary. And uh, they said that one of his favorite uh, hymns was Take Time to Be Holy. That's an old hymn. I don't know how many of you remember that hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. Uh, speak off with our Lord. And what he would do is get the students to, to make a little change in that song. Instead of saying, take time to be holy, he would have them sing this, take time to behold him. Because if we behold God in the scripture, the spirit of God takes the word of God and it begins to work in us and transform us and change us and make us holy individuals. And so this is a great chapter. 
Now, I'm going to read the first six verses. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, spend uh, the rest of the time looking at, at this passage, verses 1 through uh, 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, uh, or follow along on the screens to this morning. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, as the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, but on tables of human hearts. And so God saves us, and he, in essence, writes his word uh, on our hearts, and from our hearts we begin to live a different way. Verse 4, he tells us, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to notice beginning in verse 1, that Paul talks really uh, in verse 1 through 6 about the concern that he has uh, in, in writing this book and specifically in writing this chapter. And so uh, if you just drop down, though, to verse 6, let me focus on that for a moment. It says this, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Paul's concern in writing the book of, of 2 Corinthians and his concern in this chapter specifically is that we all realize that God has called us to serve him, to be ministers of the gospel. He's not talking just about himself. He's not talking about just vocational uh, ministers or full-time pastors. He's talking about each and every one of us who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we're called to be ministers or servants uh, of the gospel. We should be individuals who are telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ coming and shedding his blood and dying on the cross and putting, being put in that grave, but being raised from the dead so that you and I might have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. So he wants us to realize that each and every one of us should be concerned and committed to be ministers of that gospel. The word minister or serve uh, that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians, he uses 20 times in this book. And so he, his concern is that we're all called to be ministers uh, of the gospel. And then he deals in verse 1, if we jump back there, he says this, and we beginning commend ourselves, uh, uh, are, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? And so here's this connection, if you will. And the connection is this, that Paul wants us to know, and he wanted the church at Corinth to know, that he was not commending himself. He was not just trying to defend himself and, and his ministry. 
And so he, he wants us to know that he's not engaging in a, in a little bit of bragging about himself. He wants us to know, Paul, I think, that, that it's not an indication of some personal sensitivity to what people have said. He, he's not trying to defend himself for his own sake, but rather he is, is defending the ministry of the gospel. Because when people were questioning him and saying he was not a faithful minister of the gospel, there were others who started to doubt the message. They were starting to doubt whether Paul was telling them the truth about the gospel. I think we all need to be careful of this, all of us. Seldom do you ever hear me get up in this pulpit and condemn somebody who preaches and teaches on, uh, on the radio or television. It's, it's not my style. Why? Because some of these individuals, even though I might disagree with some of their theology or whatever, if they're preaching the gospel message, I wouldn't want to be guilty of getting someone else to question that message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul was dealing with. And so he was protecting, if you will, uh, you know, his, his uh, message uh, of the gospel and not just commending himself. Now, in verse 1, he also, though, really gets to the heart of the matter, and he starts to talk about commendations. And so here's what he has to say. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you. Now the sum that he's talking about in this verse really is connected with the many that we see in chapter 2 and verse 17. Notice that. For we are not like so many. And who's the many? Well, they're the troublemakers here. They're the ones who are peddling, if you will, uh, God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so there's this connection of the many that he's talking about in chapter 2, verse 17, to the uh, sum in chapter 3 and verse 1. And so he's saying that those individuals have come to town. This is, this is kind of a, a, you know, a, a regular practice during the time of Paul that people would come to town to preach and teach and to do certain things spiritually, and they would have a letter of recommendation. They didn't have the internet, so they couldn't get pastors or other people to send, you know, kind of, uh, would you send something saying that I'm okay? So people would travel. These, these itinerant preachers and all would travel with letters of recommendation. And so when they got to certain churches or certain communities, they would bring these letters out and say, here are letters of commendation. Now, the many, or the some that Paul's talking about, were probably individuals who even had fake recommendations. And Paul is concerned about that. Now, we, uh, I'm sure, are very familiar with what Paul's dealing with when we think about letters of recommendation. Uh, I received uh, this week uh, uh, an email that I really got all excited about. It was from a, a young girl that uh, I had uh, at Davis College, and uh, she has uh, had some unbelievable jobs with uh, the government, and she is now being uh, considered for really a very, very high-level job. And she wrote to me, and she says, would you please be one of my recommendations? I love that. And when I write that letter of recommendation, you know, for her anyway, I can be really positive. There's no, you know, I have to think twice if they ask me, you know, what's her weaknesses or whatever, because I, I tell you, right off the top of my head, I can't think of any. She's an extremely competent 
young woman, and I can't wait to write the letter. But I also want to make sure that that letter is understandable. And uh, so we all know about letters of, of recommendation. I remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine was going to uh, be considered for a certain uh, ambassadorship. And so I, got, I, I didn't get anything from him. I got something from uh, our government asking me to fill this long, long recommendation out. And I'm telling you, it was pages and pages and pages. And I had to think really deeply to, to fill it all out. But what it was was a letter of recommendation. And so Paul is talking about this. And when he talks about this, he wants them to realize that he's not going to send them any letters of recommendation about himself or his ministry. He says, in essence, I don't need it and I don't want it. And maybe you should question the some, the many, who have produced some type of recommendation to you, but are not truly preaching the word of God and are causing all kinds of disunity and disharmony. And so what Paul is telling us here, however, is that uh, his letter of recommendation are the very people that he's writing to. So I want you to notice what he has to say here. He says uh, in verse 2, you yourselves are, are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. And so Paul's saying, what's my letter of recommendation? You are that you've accepted the gospel and that the Spirit of God is so working in you that this world can read you like a letter. Now that's kind of exciting. So you are our letter. You're written on our hearts. We love you and care about you. Now, I don't know if I were to ask today by a raise of hands... Um, and I'm, I don't want anybody to raise their hand, let me tell you that right now, but if I were to ask you today, when was the last time you shared the gospel message with someone? When was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? And if I said to you, and again, please don't raise your hand, but if I said, you know, have you, have you told someone this week about Jesus, would you be able to raise your hand? If I said in the last two, three, four weeks? Have you told somebody about Jesus? Have you led somebody, you know, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Would you be able to raise your hand? If I said, well, how about in the last year? And what if I even went farther? See, because I'm afraid that sometimes if I said, well, how many in the last five years, you know, have you shared the gospel with somebody? Have you led somebody to Christ? How many don't raise your hand, would have to say, I don't think even in the last five years did I tell somebody about Jesus. You see, Paul's looking at these people and he's saying this, you know, you're my letter of recommendation because I came to you and I shared the gospel with you and you accepted that gospel and, and you're changed people today because of the evangelism that I did in the city of Corinth. Now, you think about that and maybe how you came to know Jesus as your own personal Savior. And I think about myself. I, we, I was just a young little kid. My parents got saved later in life. 
And uh, my mom and dad took me and my brother to uh, a Billy Graham film. Those of you who are a little bit older, at least my age or whatever, remember that, that the Billy Graham Association used to do all kinds of, of films, movies. And uh, at Central Baptist Church in Trenton, New Jersey, I remember going as a little kid and watching this Billy Graham movie. And uh, at the end, they gave an invitation to come forward. And as just a tiny little boy, I remember weaving my way out of the pew and going down front. My parents told me that when, you know, the lights came up and everybody opened their eyes, they looked for me and they didn't know where I was. And then finally they saw that I was down front. Now when I think of Elaine's testimony, Elaine was uh, not just a tiny little girl, she was, had just graduated from high school. And a church in Binghamton cared enough about people that she went with that church, with her mom and so forth, to Madison Square Garden to a Billy Graham crusade. Elaine still has the ticket. You couldn't get into a Billy Graham crusade way back then without a ticket. And she had the ticket. When, when uh, Franklin Graham was here, we were able to spend just a few minutes all by ourselves with Franklin Graham. And guess what Elaine had with her? The ticket. And they took pictures of Elaine with Franklin Graham and the ticket. And years ago, maybe, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, Franklin Graham had a big festival in Binghamton and they came in and and they filmed our testimony to put in the uh, Billy Graham Museum. And uh, they wanted to make sure that when Elaine gave her testimony, she had that ticket. Now, most of you probably could give your testimony. And in most cases, it's probably not at a rally or a movie that you got saved. Most of you would be able to tell of a person who cared enough about you to tell you about the gospel message. That's what Paul's dealing with here. And he says, you serving God, you ministering in this way, is my letter, and I want you to know it's written right on my heart because I love you and I remember you. You see, probably every pastor here at this church would be able to tell you, every ministry team member, that they remember the people who they've led to Christ. Why? Because they're, they're right on their heart. Most of us will remember the people we baptized, the people that have made some kind of commitment to Christ while, while we've, we've counseled them or helped them. I, I think back just a few short years ago when a young couple started to come here to church. And uh, they asked one Sunday, they said, could we come and see you, Pastor? And, and they came to my office, and what they really wanted was for me to uh, perform their wedding. And uh, at first, I, I was going to kind of say, well, you know, Pastor Marshall and Pastor Taylor, they do most of the weddings. And she looked at me and she said, uh, well, we really wanted you. And I said, well, <clears throat> uh, tell me first of all about your salvation. And you know what she told me? She said, we're living together. We're not married. Every Sunday we watch you on television. And she said about a month ago, God opened our hearts and minds. We knelt before that television and prayed the prayer of salvation. Now, how do you tell her, no, I don't want to marry her? And I said, I'll be glad to. 
Why? Because after hearing that story, guess where she was written and her husband? Right on my heart. That's what Paul said. I never did the wedding. And the reason was this, that a month later, she was killed on Route 31 in a bad car accident. But guess what? I did her funeral, not her wedding. But I could do it with confidence, knowing she's in heaven. You see, that's not just for me, that's for you. So here's what Paul says. He wants us to to realize that you are the letter written on our hearts. But then I want you to notice that he also tells us in that same verse and in the next verse, he says this. You are written on our hearts to be known and read by, what's the next word? All. And so Paul says, you know, you're not only my letter of recommendation, you are a letter or an epistle to the entire world of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so today I want you to know you are an epistle of Christ. That's what he tells us. Notice as you go down to the next verse, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. So you're my letter of recommendation, but guess what? You are a letter of Christ to this entire world, an epistle. My Bible is the ESV, so it's a newer version. At the top of uh, the of page, the first page, it says this, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. If you have an older translation, it says this, the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. You are an epistle, a letter from Christ to this world. Now that should be exciting. One of the individuals that I read a lot, of, a lot about this week, uh, read his commentary on 2 Corinthians, is, is an old expositor by the name of Harry Ironside. And Harry Ironside talks about uh, this passage of scripture, of course, and, and here, here's what he says. He says, it does not say that you are an epistle of Christ and I am an epistle of Christ. It takes the whole church to make his epistle or his letter. But each of us is one little verse in that epistle. Now think about that. We're in chapter 3. There's 18 verses. And what he's saying is this, that we all combine to make this letter, this epistle, and each of us are a verse. Now, when he talks about this, that we're letters of Christ known and read by all, I guess the, the issue then for each and every one of us is this, you know, what kind of letter are we? Whenever you read a letter, um, you know, you, you think about it, you, you try to understand it. Do you ever get a letter that's not legible? I've received letters, and uh, I, I've, I can recall a few that were really long, page after page, and the person's penmanship was so bad I couldn't even read it. I don't know, have any idea what it was about. And then there's times, isn't there, when we read a letter that someone has written to us, and we can legibly read it, but we have absolutely no understanding of what it means because it's so confusing. 
I think Paul would have us understand this, that we're, we're letters, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not tables of stone, but tablets of, of human hearts. And the question is, what kind of letter are we? Are we legible as letters of Christ to this world? And so that's what Paul's dealing with. What kind of letter or epistle are you? What kind of message are you giving to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you legible? Are you clear? And so he then talks about this contrast, of course, and uh, wants us to, to realize that as he's comparing the old covenant and the new covenant, which we'll deal with in a few weeks, that uh, here that the true uh, glory and power is in the gospel which changes our hearts. And so we need to realize, however, that God wants us to be letters of his to this world. Now Paul goes on after uh, he talks about this in verse 4 and 5, and he talks about our confidence in even being this kind of letter or testimony. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And so he talks here about the confidence that we have. And uh, Paul, again, is not bragging. He's talking about how great God is and how powerful the gospel is to change us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul talks about this. Let me read it to you. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, uh, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So what's he saying? He's saying that our confidence isn't in ourselves, but it is in God and in his grace. And so he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't self-sufficient, but he knew the power of God in, in all who believe. And uh, so he uh, is focused then on how great God is. See, Paul had a great view of himself. He realized that even though he was well-educated, even though he was an apostle, that he was still a person who had to battle his, himself. There was a uh, newspaper in London many years ago, the story is told anyway, that uh, a popular story. And uh, this uh, newspaper sent out uh, a question to uh, a bunch of well-known people in London, and they asked this question. These individuals were then asked to answer and send, their, send those answers back to the newspaper. And the question that this London uh, newspaper uh, asked was, was this, what's wrong with the world? Now, how would you answer that today? What's wrong with the world? Would we talk about politics? Would we talk about you know, just, uh, you know, how there's so much uh, conflict around the world. Would we talk about racial issues? What would we talk about? Well, the simplest answer that came back was from a well-known person by the name of G.K. Chesterton. He was a philosopher. He was a uh, Catholic lay theologian, a writer, extremely well-known. Here's how he answered the question. The question again, what's wrong with the world? Here was his answer, I am. 
Well, what's wrong with the world? I am. What's wrong with the world? You are. You see, I think Paul had that understanding. That in and of himself, he could do no, nothing that was good. But his sufficiency was in God. And so it was all about God in verse 6, this competence he talks about. that He says, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of uh, Uh, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so God empowers us. Uh, God enables us. It's all about God. It's all about His grace. uh, How we can do anything that pleases Him and has a true impact on this world. One of my favorite verses, we'll close with this, is found in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Um, I'm going to quote it, but it's not from the ESV because I I like some other translations of this verse uh, more than how the ESV does it. But here's what Paul again says, and he's talking about our calling and how we serve God. Here's what he says. Faithful is he who called you. So who called you to be ministers of the gospel? God did. And so here's the rest of the verse. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. It's all about God. And that's what Paul's focused on. Well, how do we end? Well, I want to end today by telling you that we have a call. It's not just the Apostle Paul, and it's not just the people in the church of Corinth. It's a call on my life and your life. And the call is this, that God wants us to be a letter. He wants us to be a letter for Christ, and he wants our letter, our testimony, to be legible and easy to read. And so we ask ourselves in closing, what kind of letter are we? Are we legible to this world? Are we easily read? Are we clear? When they read our testimony, when, they, when we are this epistle for Christ, are we delightful to read? Do we give them truth? You see, letters reveal the very soul of the person. And so, would our letters be good? Would they be positive? Would they be God-honoring? Or are our letters negative? Are our letters downers? God help us that we might grab from these six verses The key issue, you are a letter written in our hearts. A letter of Christ known and read by all. Let's pray.